You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. Our conversation today will focus on climate change mitigation efforts at the state and local level. I'm your host, NISAC Multimedia Specialist Kate Pierce-Nims, and joining us for our conversation today is Heather Brown, Sullivan County Deputy Planning Commissioner and Chair of NISAC's Climate Action Committee. Thank you for taking the time to have this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. Very happy to be here this morning. So to start us off, could you give an overview of the Climate Action Standing Committee and the focus of your advocacy? It's one of NISAC's newest standing committees. Uh, What's it like serving on that committee? So, yeah, the Climate Action Committee actually originally started as an advisory committee to NISAC, and it was not an official standing committee until uh, December of 2021 is when the NISAC board voted to make it a full standing committee. And it's really in response to um, the state legislation that has been coming out in response to the need to address climate change. I believe the New York State Association of Counties absolutely saw the need to advocate for uh better inclusion of counties when making these policies, stronger consideration of counties and what their needs were going to be if we were going to be an effective partner in addressing uh, climate change. So the uh, advisory committee was uh, made into a standing committee. Um, You know, our focus is really on advocating um, for resources for counties and localities in order to be able to effectively carry out um, the policies and the projects and the initiatives that the state is asking us to do. Um, the state has a huge role. The federal government will have a huge role, but counties and local municipalities are absolutely the closest uh, level of government to the constituency that we're serving. We're going to be representing the boots on the ground that are going to be implementing a lot of these community projects that are going to be vital in order to make um, the implementation of the 2019 Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act a success. So we wanted a seat at the table. We wanted a strong voice. And we wanted to make sure that the state understood that we are willing partners but we need resources and we need um, we, we need them to listen to us because we understand what's going to work in our communities and what isn't. Um, so I, I guess that's really where the, the genesis of, and the need for the Climate Action Committee came from. Um, so it's, it's a very exciting committee to be on. Um, it's a very exciting committee to be uh, representing right now because everything is kind of new. Um, even though in some cases what's old is new, it's, you know, what's old is new with, with a twist, right? Um, so we get to see a lot of uh, innovative types of policies, a lot of uh, just really new and exciting initiatives that are coming out. Um, you know, it can also be very stressful because, you know, we're, we're talking about changing uh, the way that many of us do business, uh, many of the ways that people live their lives. And change can be um, very scary and overwhelming. Um, I do take my role seriously as a public servant who is trying to make that change or these transitions a little bit less scary, um, you know, try to downplay the doom and gloom and the scariness of it and, and play up the opportunities and the optimism and, you know, the hope that, you know, we're, we're hoping will uh, trickle down into our communities. So it's, it's exciting. It's scary. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm really excited to take on this new role. Fantastic. It's it's really engaging being on the forefront of mitigating climate change and these green energy and green job initiatives that are coming to our communities and being able to stand on this precipice of, 
of change, right? So I think you put it well that it's exciting and it's scary. So um, with the work that the committee does, can you detail the resolution passed from this committee? Um, and that was approved by NYSAC's full delegation, urging the establishment of the Resilient New York Revolving Loan Program. And what impact would this have on New York counties? So this resolution was in response to, um, I believe it's been introduced in the Senate and the Assembly. The Senate bill is 8853. The Assembly bill is 10325 um, to establish the New York Resilient Revolving Loan Program. This is in response to federal legislation that was signed into law in January of 2021 and funded by the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. It's called the STORM Act, which is uh, the, uh, the name for safeguarding tomorrow through ongoing risk management. Um, this authorizes the Federal Emergency Manage Management Agency to provide capitalization grants to state and tribal governments. Um, and establish revolving loan funds that provide hazard mitigation assistance for local governments. Now, this is really important because one of the big things that we have advocated for are resources, technical assistance and financial resources. One of the things that we get asked all the time is, how are we going to pay for this? What are counties going to do? Where is the money coming from? So this is one of the tools to provide that financial assistance to counties in order to be responsive to some of the extreme weather events that we have been seeing on an uh, increasingly regular basis uh, in, in recent history. So this is extremely important because this legislation um, would establish this revolving loan fund that could provide loans directly to uh, counties um, as well as individual property owners, as opposed to having to um, get the, the funding directly through FEMA. So, um, you know, this is, you know, something that can fund a wide range of uh, projects. Um, you know, we can do building resilient infrastructure in communities. We can do flood mitigation assistance and flood risk reduction projects, um, adaptation or mitigation projects, um, you know, all kinds of projects that are going to make us a more resilient state um, that will help us to bounce back from these events. Um, so this really is important in just providing access to these zero to low interest loans that can help counties get these projects off the ground and provide better protections to their communities um, and, and also to upgrade our infrastructure. You know, I always, you know, kind of throw that in there, too, where we're saving, uh, you know, our communities, we're safeguarding them. But, you know, this is also an opportunity to upgrade infrastructure, which is, you know, needed for economic development purposes and community development purposes as well. So, um, you know, overall, you know, this was something that was a really easy vote. Um, you know, certainly, you know, we're excited to see this pass and to start getting these resources into our communities. Right. And there's, you know, ounce of prevention, pound of cure kind of situation here where, Having resources in place ahead of time is only going to make so much more of a difference when it's needed, right? So rather to invest the money in what we need now so that it's easier to bounce back. Yeah, and you know, it's always less expensive to be proactive and to safeguard against as opposed to being reactive and fixing things after the problem has occurred. So the more that we can do up front um, in addressing these resiliency and uh, mitigation uh, initiatives um, and being more prepared, we're going to ultimately reduce costs on the back end and not suffer such catastrophic damages when these uh, storms and uh, you know natural disaster kind of weather events um, roll through our communities. So you know it should improve um, the the fabric and the infrastructure of our communities, and it should also uh, result in uh, reduced costs to our localities as well.
because counties are on the front lines, right, of mitigation efforts and of building resilient communities. So having this funding available is really imperative. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So in terms of also mitigation and resiliency efforts, in a few short weeks here, New York State residents will vote on a ballot initiative, the Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Environmental Bond Act of 2022. We haven't had an environmental bond act in the past 26 years. Um, So this bond act would allocate $4.2 billion towards environmental projects. Can you talk about this bond act and its significance? Yes. I believe this this is a very, very large tool in that implement, implementation toolbox. Um, $4.2 billion, you're talking about um, just a, a real boost to kickstarting some of these programs or continuing some of these programs and really giving communities the resources that they need or making available, I should say, the resources that they need in order to be successful in implementing um, some of these programs. Um, when you look at the types of projects that this funding will be, um, you know, that, that will be eligible to be funded through this uh, bond act, um, it's it's really wide sweeping. And what I really like about it is I think that it causes people to think about um, addressing climate change beyond the sparkly kind of shiny toys like, you know, the solar and the wind and electric vehicles. You know, we're talking about being able to fund uh, preservation of open spaces um, with this with this funding. We're talking about being able to preserve farmland um, with this with this funding, um, which I think is such an important piece for so many reasons, aside from just the carbon sequestering um, capabilities of, you know, active farmlands and whatnot, if well managed, um, you know, bringing more production of, of crops, you know, and just increasing our agricultural productivity in New York State is going to be a win-win-win for everyone. We're going to connect our local communities with healthy food. We're going to reduce the emissions that are required for transporting goods, you know, products and produce and whatnot across the country or around the world. And it's, you know, good for our economy. I mean, agriculture is a massive economic driver for, for New York State. So I think that that agricultural preservation piece of this uh, legislation is uh, so important. And I was so pleased to see that it was included in there. Um, you know, we're going to be able to address heat, um, heat islands um, and, you know, you know, do better with our um, urban planning and whatnot. Um, you know, this will provide opportunities to plant, uh, you know, street trees and to um, have pocket parks and to increase green spaces um, in more urbanized kind of areas, which is important for the environment, but it's also a really good thing for the mental health and well-being and the social structure of those communities. So I think that as you're going through a lot of the initiatives that this uh, bond would fund, we're not, it, it, it's for climate change and it's for the environment, but when you see the other benefits, you know, it's for social health and public health, you know, physical health and, you know, mental well-being um, and just an overall stronger community um, it's really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping um, that this funding does become available. I think that, you know, New York State, I think New Yorkers are kind of ready for these initiatives. They're excited to see them get off the ground. Um, and, you know, this is going to be a really big boost to kickstart, uh, you know, a, a pretty intense, um, you know, coming decades of investment in our communities and in our environment. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm extraordinarily excited about this. Um, I should also mention that there is uh, funding that would be included in here for clean water projects and clean air projects. 
um, particularly focused in some of our disadvantaged communities, which is a really big piece of our um, of the uh, 2019 CLCPA legislation. Um, and I don't think that there's too many municipalities out there with water and sewer infrastructure that wouldn't be kind of looking at that funding and saying, hey, you know, that's really important. We've got all kinds of, you know, uh, municipal water and sewer projects that need to be addressed. And maybe this is another opportunity for that. So I think when you look at this package, there's something in there for everyone to benefit from. Um, I'm extraordinarily excited about this prospect. <laughs> yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, too. Also, that while this is a positive, this is a boon for the environment, right, and for climate action and for climate change mitigation, it also reaches into so many other areas that are of county concern. So public health and access to green spaces, that was that's such a rise in a need that came up from the pandemic, right, of people looking to get outside and people looking to enjoy this kind of space. So there's a piece in each one of these initiatives within the Bond Act that touches at what counties do on you know daily basis to serve our residents. Absolutely. I mean, we're really talking about revitalizing communities and protecting human health and human safety um, is ultimately what we're trying to do. And when I say human health, of course, I'm talking about physical and mental health. Um, You know, one of the things that Sullivan County has been um, looking into, and we actually have an application right now to the DEC through their um, Climate Smart Communities grant program. Um, We are looking to get funding for a master bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure plan. Um, This is uh, not always easy to do in a rural community, but it can be done um, in centering on kind of your population centers. And we're looking at this not just from the perspective, which is, of course, very important of, you know, reducing um, vehicle miles traveled, you know, and giving people um, uh, opportunities for, um, you know, active transportation. Um, You know, if, if this plan were to be done correctly, we're going to make connections between people who maybe don't currently have access to any car and places of employment or critical services. Um, We're going to give people an outlet to feel um, that they have a safe means of walking and becoming more active and improving their physical health. And who doesn't feel better, you know, taking a nice walk down to your main street, you know, just being outside, breathing fresh air. Um, So while this is certainly a climate mitigation project in reducing the emissions from vehicle miles traveled, it's also something that can connect people with their community, connect seniors who may feel socially isolated because they don't drive anymore to their communities, connect children with their communities and get them, you know, out of the house and outside and active. And, um, you know, I, I just think that these types of projects, when you really start to look at the overall benefits um, there's there's not a whole lot of downside with the exception of the investment. And that's exactly why these financial resources that we're seeing starting to come out from the state are so important, because really, that's the that's the hurdle. That's the barrier. But that's where people always get stuck. So, um, you know, very excited to see all kinds of projects like this coming out. Right. And that investment piece is so important, too, because thinking about the cost that would be associated with, you know, reacting to the result of climate change or impacted by climate change at the very least. There's all sorts of things. So dealing with these from uh, financing them post, right, in the, in this reactive sort of way, um, you'd also be financing initiatives like public safety and public health if you didn't invest in this sort of infrastructure currently. 
you've got to look at it in a, what would it cost if we didn't do this? Absolutely. It, it's just like you said before, uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of, uh, of, of, of reaction. So it's, it's so important um, that we, that we try to start getting out in front of this. I feel like we're, we're behind it right now. Um, And once we're able to kind of catch up and get in front of it, I think that, you know, a lot of this will become easier um, or at least more clear as far as what the steps are that need to be taken. And I do think that once we start to realize the savings in our health system and realize the savings where we're not spending so much money and cleaning up from these storms, um, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll see more, more people, uh, more uh, areas trying to, um, you know, participate and, and uh, join in on, join in on the fun. <laughs> yeah. So as we both know, counties are engaged in work involving, involving climate change directly and indirectly, as we've covered extensively so far. Can you talk about some other green initiatives on the horizon in the coming year or any advocacy that you're looking forward beyond the things that we've already discussed? So one of the items that we've been discussing in the standing committee uh, on climate action is actually um, extended producer responsibility. Um, This is, you know, end of life management of some of these new products that are coming out. So, you know, Sometimes you see where the technology kind of outpaces the regulation. And what we're trying to do is think very um, holistically and comprehensively about uh, new technologies and new initiatives that are coming out all the time. One of the issues that we are um, seeing um, is, you know, end of life management of some of these technologies. You know, what happens to the solar panels when, you know, when they break or when they're at the end of their life? What happens to that uh, lithium ion battery when it's reached the end of its usefulness in a vehicle. Um, New York State is fortunate that we do have, um, I think it's one of maybe three, uh, maybe don't quote me on that one, but uh, one of very few uh, lithium ion recycling facilities in the country based in Rochester, New York, which just opened um, pretty recently. Um, And we need more of that, but we also need the manufacturers of these technologies to take responsibility um, for these technologies and to make sure that they're planning for the end of the life of these uh, of these technologies as well. Um, I know that one of the pushbacks that I get all the time as well, if you put the cost on the manufacturer, they're just going to pass that on to the consumer. And that's that's absolutely correct. And that may be so. But I, as a consumer, would rather know what the total upfront costs are in a very transparent manner when I'm actually purchasing that item, as opposed to buying it. And then on the back end, there's a bunch of hidden costs that go into my property taxes or where my municipality has to, um, you know, dedicate sales taxes or any other kind of tax receipts in order to now handle that uh, material in a municipally owned landfill. Um, I think at the end of the day, we know that someone is going to have to pay for uh, for certain aspects of of these technologies. And, um, you know, I would rather that this just be done in a much more transparent manner and upfront so that we understand what the life cycle costs are, um, as opposed to once again being reactive at the end of the life and we're not really sure what we're going to do. Um, I would also say that we have, uh, you know, discussed the fact that these types of laws should not just be limited to um, the clean energy industry. We should be um, we should be implementing this type of thinking across a wide range 
of, of industries. You know, any kind of transparency that you can give to a consumer um, is, is just going to put more uh, power into their hands. And an educated consumer is always, you know, a, a better, uh, more responsible consumer. So we're, we're discussing um, ways that we can work with the state to advocate through um, NISAC to, um, to get more uh, extended producer responsibility, um, you know, legislation uh, passed um, to protect, you know, taxpayer dollars as well as the environment. Right, another win-win situation here. And, Absolutely. And there's a lot more, um, it's on the forefront of more people's mind of recycling and having that sort of knowledge of an end of life for products. So there are some folks who assume that things are more recyclable than they are, right? Wishful recyclers. So just increasing that transparency so that you know how to recycle certain products and what the process looks like instead of just, oh, I'll put it in my municipal recycling bin and they'll know how to take care of it for a lot of different products, right? So yeah. this just really helps to cut down on waste in municipal streams as well. Yeah. I'm also going to do a shameless plug right now to all of the consumers listening out there and say, check those labels for the content of post-consumer recycled materials. Uh, this is a very geeky thing for me, but at the end of the day, if there's no market to send those recycled materials to, then there's there, those materials are going to end up in a landfill someplace anyway. Um, so we definitely want to keep track of uh, stimulating those uh, markets for that material that municipalities are, you know, paying to haul away. Um, I know in many cases, you know, recycling is free to the folks who are throwing it out. But I know that at least in Sullivan County, there was a period of time because the markets were so bad that we were actually paying a certain fee to haul away our recyclables because no one wanted to pay for it because they couldn't use it. So there's my shameless plug. Check those, uh, check those tags. Check the post-consumer recycled material, you know, in your products and, you know, try to try to support your uh, your local recycling markets. <laughs> right. And we've talked extensively at NISAC about the issue of recycling and how there's no post-market for glass and how there's just, um, you know, when the choice is between continuing recycling um, and the associated costs there or just placing these materials into a landfill because it's cheaper, but we know that that's not the path forward. It's, it's a tricky situation. So the more that people are informed and the better transparency that we have in this process um, in general just helps to have consumers and our residents, our communities just overall operate better and more efficiently because once you know the process, then you know how it works. So um, unfortunately we are coming to the end of our conversation today. So I just wanted to ask if there's anything else that you would like to discuss on green initiatives or the work of the Climate Action Committee or anything that you're looking forward to in this coming year of advocacy? Um, I guess I would just like to say to all of the county officials that may be listening in that if they have not already checked out some of the state programs that are out there to assist municipalities um, with implementing their uh, climate goals or their environmental goals, um, there are some wonderful resources available. NYSERDA has their Clean Energy Communities Program that Sullivan County has been participating in for about five years now. Um, it provides not just technical assistance, but there's also financial uh, incentives available. Um, we always like to bring money in from outside uh, entities, you know, just to make sure that we're, you know, 
not putting the entire burden just on our property taxpayers, obviously. Um, and there's also, like I had mentioned earlier, the DEC's uh, Climate Smart Communities Program um, really provides a great roadmap um, and, a, and a menu of options um, for a community to implement their, their climate goals. What I like about that is it's something that you can tailor really to your community. And I think that's a really important thing is that, you know, Sullivan County is going to be very different from Westchester County and very different from Onondaga County and very different from Erie County. And that's okay. You know, the the patchwork of communities that makes up New York state is kind of what makes this state so special. We do all have our own kind of um, personalities as communities. So, um, you know, these resources are available and they can be tailored to meet the needs of your community specifically. So you should always be keeping that in mind, of course, first, your community first, and then how do we make this work for us? Um, so I would just absolutely advocate for people to check out the Clean Energy Communities and Climate Smart Communities program. And, um, you know, I, I hope that everything we've kind of talked about today can, you know, uh, help help folks uh, to think about what's coming around the corner, um, maybe from a, from a new perspective. Right. And innovative solutions at the county level require innovative funding streams, as you would know very well. So um, I super appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation today and to focus on these initiatives that are happening at the, the local, the county, the state level, um, and for your time and expertise on this topic. So again, for our county audience, we've been joined by Heather Brown from Selvin County's Office of Sustainable Energy. And definitely check out NYSAC's website for more information on the Climate Action Committee and their advocacy initiatives. So thank you again, Heather. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of NYSAC's County Conversations podcast. Keep tuning in for more county government-focused conversations, and make sure to subscribe to stay up to date.